Have you ever heard someone say that the tail's wagging the dog? This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with teacher Brian Johnston. A warm welcome as you join us. Now that saying, or idiom, the tail's wagging the dog, is used to indicate that a person is allowing smaller details and circumstances to become too important, so important that they might take over control of the whole situation. In the New Testament, it was something the religious leaders had allowed to happen regarding the keeping of the law of Moses. So just consider how this is shown as we go now to Brian for today's Bible study. It's called Jesus is Greater. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. Someone hearing our title for the first time, and that title is, as you say, Jesus is Greater, might well ask, but greater than what? After all, that's a totally understandable question, because greater is, after all, a comparative term. So what are we saying Jesus is greater than? Well, perhaps we could give lots of answers, but Jesus himself, in the 12th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, gives three very specific answers. And so let's restrict ourselves to those. We'll start by reading about the first of them. Before we do, I should say that our reading relates to an occasion in Jesus' life with his disciples when he was out for a walk with them. And without doubt, it was a purposeful walk. It turns out that they weren't alone. Others who weren't identified as being Jesus' disciples were observing what they were doing. And these observers included some people who were drawn from the ranks of the then religious leaders in Israel, people known as the Pharisees. They were persons who tried very hard to keep strictly to the law of Moses, which originally, of course, was God-given. However, these people, among others, had embellished it with lots of extra details. So with that background, this is what Matthew records in chapter 12 of his Gospel. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Did you hear that? Jesus described himself as greater than the temple. Now, it's worth pointing out that the Jews had great respect for their temple. The temple standing then in Jerusalem had been built by Jews after returning to their homeland in the 6th century BC. King Herod had lately carried out what many judged to be improvements. Doubtless it was a modernization of sorts. So when Jesus claimed he was something greater than the temple, it must have sounded quite shocking to their ears. Basically, the temple was where people then came to connect with God. Does that help us, I wonder? Help us to understand what Jesus is saying here when he referred to himself 
and declared that something greater than the temple was among them. Jesus is where we meet God. He's how we connect with God. He's the bridge, if you like, and the one and only bridge at that, the only way to God. Later, Jesus would famously declare to his disciples that no one can come to the Father except through him. That's John 14, verse 6. He, that's Jesus, and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's the first of three similar statements made by Jesus, which Matthew recorded, and all of them are found in his 12th chapter. If you want to easily look them up for yourself, you'll find them in Matthew chapter 12. What we've learned from this is that Jesus knew that the temple he spoke of would very soon be abandoned by God. Soon a torn curtain within the temple, occurring supernaturally at the time of Jesus' death on the cross, would testify to this fact. God was no longer in residence there. He couldn't be reached by that route anymore. Jesus himself, in perfect humanity, had risen from the death of the cross and is declared in the Bible to be the new and living way to God. That makes him greater than the temple for sure. It's another encounter with the religious Pharisees that links us to the second similar statement Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 12, this time from verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Imagine you'd been there, hearing those words, with their reminder of the judgment that's to come. Imagine belonging to that condemned generation. We don't like to think of such things. Today, people try to convince themselves that God doesn't exist. They subscribe to the hopeless notion that we're here because of some freak cosmic accident. They try to say that mindless matter somehow acquired a mind of its own, even though all our experience and knowledge shows that it doesn't make any sense to think that way. It's pure escapism, but that's the faithlessness of our generation. Jesus compared the faithless generation of his time rather unfavorably with the brutal pagan enemy of Israel some six centuries before. At least they had turned from their depravity to respect the true God of heaven, their creator. But it was so different with these privileged Israelites who were talking to Jesus and to whom Jesus had spoken about Jonah. Six centuries before, the preaching of that one man, Jonah, had made a massive impact, with 120,000 lives being spared, the awful doom which had been predicted. For sure, Jonah was a prophet of doom. He wasn't a compassionate man. He didn't waste any pity on his audience. They were his people's national enemy, after all. He'd actually have preferred to see them burn. God had finally to take him aside and correct his attitude. 
The people in Jesus' day, on the other hand, had something greater, a prophet better than Jonah living among them, because Jesus' message was as much about compassion as it was about judgment. He'd come to save and not condemn. But despite that, there was no massive reaction to Jesus' preaching, as there had been to Jonah's, at least not before his death. If, as we've seen earlier, Jesus is where we meet God, he's also where we encounter God's mercy. And lastly, we come to the third and last announcement Jesus made, which Matthew records, like the others, in his 12th chapter. This one follows on in the same vein as the last one. Jesus now added in verse 42, the Queen of the South will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Earlier in the Bible, in the first part, the Old Testament, we read about the time when this took place, when the Queen of Sheba satisfied her curiosity by visiting King Solomon at Jerusalem and was overwhelmed and was so impressed by all that she saw and heard. She was in awe of the great wisdom God had given Solomon. In fact, she said the reports had not done it justice. Solomon had been able to answer all her questions. But the sad thing was these religious leaders were not at all impressed with Jesus, who could here claim to be something greater and better than Solomon. They came to him with their questions, some sincere, but many of them trick questions to trip him up in his answers. But of course, they never could. Jesus' answers did not satisfy idle curiosity, but exposed the intentions of the questioner's heart. It remains true that in Jesus, we have answers to life's urgent questions. What are the basic urgent questions of this and every age? They're about life's origin and meaning, and they deal with the heavy issues of morality and destiny. Discover for yourself that in him, Jesus, everything was not only created, but holds together. Find out for yourself that in him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. He's God's standard of righteousness. And what's more, your future is in his hands. What's the proof that Jesus is something better? It's his death, burial and resurrection over the three days that we call Easter. Just as Jesus is the Bible's central figure, those three days are the most important of his life, essential to all the claims he makes. Jesus dying and rising again was so that, through it, we can meet God, experience compassion, and find truly satisfying answers, all in the person of God's Son, who is Jesus. Don't you want something better in your life? Something or someone greater than the mere religious rules and rituals associated with a historic temple? Something or someone greater than the stark doomsday predictions of a Jonah? Something greater or deeper than the theological answers of someone as wise as Solomon? Then find it in the man who died and rose at Easter time.
Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. Now, I'd like to remind you that there is still the transcript book of all the talks in this series. Firstly, it's available online. You can obtain one by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Or another way is that you can write to us and request a hard copy book be posted out to you. Just ask for the title, It's Not Fake News. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, sadly, our time is almost up. But many thanks again for the pleasure of your company today, and I hope you have a very good week ahead. And I'd be delighted if you join me again this time next week to hear our next talk, which is called Four Mothers. That's one, two, three, four mothers. So for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.